FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 436 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. I'm your host Jason and I'm joined once again by the Scalabros, Dan and Georgie. Hey guys. So, huge shout out to my Scalabros for kind of doing a walking schedule this time around, but uh, we have a couple of fun books to talk about and some news, but guys, I think it was okay with you. I have some very specific opinions related to the news that have to do with one of the issues we're going to talk about, so can we wait and kind of hit the news when we do X-Men 19? Uh, yeah? Okay. And that, guys, is an example of house cleaning you should probably do before you record. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, Free podcasting tip. About, I don't know. I don't know if this is like like vaccine news or like what you were trying to. I've like coming out. It's like, hey, I'm uh, sorry, guys. I'm not like anti-vaxer. I don't I know what you were going to oh, do. No, no, no. I, for the record, I got my first shot in me and uh, scheduled the second one. I'm I'm good to go. So. You're ready, ready to be a lizard person. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, my whole life I've waited for this. So, been been eating flies, trying to like get our mutant power. Yeah, cutting off limbs to see if they grow back, and hopefully all that'll pay off in the end. See that <laughs> we're already tying this into X Men nineteen. <laughs> True, <laughs> there is some dismemberment. So. <laughs> oh man. Awesome. Well, uh, any other news y'all want to hit before we go to that? I know you guys have been doing some some fun episodes. I look forward to listening to on uh, Falcon and Winter. Yeah, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Or what do y'all call it? Shield and Wings? Is that what y'all are? <laughs> <laughs> I I've dubbed it Wings and Arm. Wings and Arm. That's right. There you go. Yeah, we've been covering that series. We had a, a new episode drop uh, the other day for covering episode four. And as we're recording uh, with you today, Jason, episode five is dropped. And uh, I think Dan and I really like this episode. Um, nice. There's only one only one more left um, and a lot coming to a head. But um, quite, I, I know you're, you, I don't even know if you've watched WandaVision Wait, yet. Hold on. There's only six of these? Yeah, but they're like 45 minutes to an hour long. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, actually, we've done we've done the first two WandaVision episodes we did them the other day. Oh, nice. So, yeah, finally, finally started that. So I'm I'm almost cool again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I can speak safely for Dan in saying that uh, you'll you'll enjoy um, uh, Shield and Arm as well. Yeah, nice. Very nice. All right, well, if nothing else, I guess we can jump into some comics. So this one is for the children. We have Children of the Atom, Children of the Vault, uh, Children of Madripoor. This, this episode is all dedicated for the children. Sure. <laughs> so we'll start off with the Children of the Atom 1 and 2, uh, which I think are all the same credits. So let me double check real fast. Um is old enough to know better slash uncanny and what's the second one called time to come home prison break and is uh written by 
Mina Aiwa, I think I'm saying their name right. Uh, Bernard Chang is the artist. Marcelo Maiolo is the colorist. This is Travis Landon does the letters, and Tom Mueller does the design. With the uh, R.B. Silva and Eric Arseniega doing the covers. Um, so the first one, the cover is a promo image that we've seen for what feels like forever now. I know this book had some delays and potentially even had to have some some tweaks and rewrites done to maybe part of it as other events played out. But um, the first cover is basically our, our new squad of kind of copycat X-Men. Uh, we have uh, Cyclops, Lass, uh, who's obviously based on Cyclops, uh, Cherub, who is loosely based on Archangel, uh, Daycrawler, who is <laughs> uh, and has some fun <laughs> with his own name, uh, based on Nightcrawler, I think Gimmick is the Gambit uh, person, yeah. and then um, they call him. They don't call him Marvel Boy. What do they call the Jean Grey guy? I think he is called Marvel Boy. Yeah, oh. Marvel Boy. Yeah. Oh wow, there's more. Well, they kind of play around with their names a little bit. It's hard to. Yes. Yep. And then on the second cover is the same team fighting people in orange red suits. It looks like a. Orange red suits, orange jumpsuits. Good grief, Jason. Um, it looks like they're busting up like a prison. Um, so there's some prisoners there. What do you think of the covers by Silva? I'm not bothered. <laughs> um, <they laughs> I think the first image, I probably really enjoyed it when it first came out. But I, like you said, it's been a year and a bit since mm-hmm. we've seeing it. So I'm kind of like indifferent. And the new cover doesn't really... Um, it's nice, but it doesn't really do anything it doesn't it's like people that are like x-men fighting people in prison yeah right yeah i'm kind of with you what about you georgie yeah i mean it's um it's fine uh <laughs> unfortunately i think that my, my feelings for the cover are um colored by uh my feelings for the internal issue and, and like dan said we've seen this like this image posted for you know half a year or something so it's a little <laughs> a little odd to like feel any awe by it i mean it, it's fine i wouldn't say it was awful but it's you know it's there yeah all right fair enough so basically in most of these issues if you can distill it down to its most essential points uh some kids who may or may not be mutants present themselves as copycat x-men and uh, take on the Hells and Bells uh, from Peter David days a couple of times. Uh, for personal and family reasons, the kids decline their invitation to Krakoa, uh, even from their hero, Storm. However, there's a couple of things that, that play into the plot. Cerebro cannot detect them, and the first time they try a gate, it doesn't work. Issue 2 ends with them about <sighs> to try a gate again. And there's a lot of fighting and melodrama in between all that. And some kind of teen angst and, you know, the stuff you would expect from a book about kids, right? There's kind of, right. I don't know if I necessarily want to go into all the details of all that, but uh, there is is that. And then I guess there is the, the one conversation on the, the X-Men moon base when they try to decide how they're going to handle the kids. It involves, of course, Wolverine, Storm, uh, Cyclops, uh, Jean Grey, who I refuse to call Marvel Girl, and um, Nightcrawler, kind of our veteran X-Men. Uh, talking about what we're going to do about these damn kids. <laughs> right. So, I don't know, any other, I guess, pertinent points I wanted to talk about before we kind of get into our feelings on the book? 
I do like the fact that the seamstress uses needles as her charged weapons. Yes. That was a nice design. Right, right, right. And, and to be absolutely honest, I do actually like all apart from uh, Daycrawler's costume, I quite like them all. Like the riffs of them all. And the, the, the Jean Grey knockoffs like a Mexican wrestler. Uh-huh. I do like the like design aspect of, of what they've done with most of them. Yeah, I think I think the only reason I maybe kinda like uh Daycrawler, Nighty Nightcrawler, whatever he's gonna be, is there's there's a Voltron much like when we did all new X Men originally, right? There's kind of a Voltron feel to the costumes. And the the ninety nightcrawler guy reminds me of the little yellow kid from Voltron. Um kind of the pip squeak of the team and some of the design feels familiar to that as well. So I I think I enjoyed that aspect of it, but it's definitely the weakest of the costume designs for sure. With its costumed or genetic tail, we don't know. <laughs> Actually, I was trying to think, do we even see the tail in the actual issues, or is it just on that cover? I don't, uh, I don't remember. I'm looking through this first issue. I don't think he has a tail. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And the one where he high fives uh, Marvel Boy after they after he puts the the Hell's Bell to sleep, he he has a tail there. So, so I guess the the big question is, are they mutants? And we can talk about whether that mystery works for you or not. But you guys want to do some some pro have a little pro con game? Are they or are they not mutants? <laughs> um. Uh. <laughs> I made a list, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, off the top of my head, I'd say they could be mutants, but they could be like Kitty, and they need to be killed and then resurrected to um to go through the gate. Okay. Or, but I don't know. It feels more like that. Um, I don't know if any if you remember, but you know, um, there was in time there was a new Warriors comic. Um, around Civil War, where Jubilee and Chamber didn't have powers, but they used tech to. Uh huh. Oh yeah, right. I yep. feel like it. I feel like it. It reminds me a lot of that. Like it, it does. It's tech. Maybe it's tech, maybe rather than power based. No, probably... Yeah. Yeah. So, so my uh, my my checks in the yes box are they seem to think they can use the gate. So, like, if they weren't mutants, why would they even try? Um, obviously, they have powers. They idolize the X-Men. I think the, the their not mutants factor would be, you know, no Cerebro. The gate doesn't work. Um, I think one thing that, that struck me, too, and this could be just maybe a nitpicky, but, you know, we know in, in X-Men history there's definitely duplicate power sets, right? Like, we see some powers kind of come up over and over again or similar types of powers come up over and over again. But for all five of these to have powers that already existed is maybe a little bit of a much of a coincidence to not be like intentional in the story, right? Not just intentional from the creative process as a writer, but like inside the story, it almost seems too convenient to not be intentional. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I, I had the same idea, Dan, that maybe it's technology that's augmenting their powers, um, and then also maybe, you know, 
the idea of them wanting to use the gates, maybe there's something that was done to them without them knowing. So they think they're mutants, but they're not really. It could be an option as well. So I I never even thought that those were their even supposed to be mimic their actual powers. Uh, in, in my head, it was like, well, this is the tech that they can make uh, like okay. in, in um, homage to their heroes, and that's what they made. Um, I think storytelling-wise, I don't know if it makes a whole lot of sense for them actually to be mutants, just if we're talking about the theme of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it seems kind of obvious that they they wish – like they're, they're outsiders, right? They don't fit in or whatever – or they feel like they don't fit in in society, so they feel like they identify with the mutants, and they also idolize them. So it's almost like wish fulfillment. Okay. Uh, it, I think you can read a lot into that. It, it can you can be like, you know, uh, white people who are really into like hip hop culture and you know try to act black, or uh, you know, all sorts of like societal things so that can. can uh, lead you know into discussions. I, I think that's more where it's leading into. I would be very surprised if they were mutants, okay. but um, I also wonder if this is where Storm is leading. Like you know, she's they're hinting that she's trying to do something else. Is she going to be like mentoring like non mutants or mentoring young mutants? Is she going oh. to provide a bridge between the two worlds? Like I, I don't know, but to have her involved in the issue seemed like. There was some purpose behind that. I wasn't even connecting the dots with her and her leaving Marauders. And that That's a very interesting kind of potential theory, Georgie. I like that. Or at least I like that you picked up on it, right? I guess whether I like it or not would depend on how the story yeah. goes. But. I, I don't know if I even like the idea of, of doing that story like the, that I just <laughs> proposed. Um, like they're not mutants, but they sort of idolize. Like it feels kind of gross, but it also feels like timely. I just don't know if that's a book I really want to read. <laughs> you know, it almost feels like privileged kids wanting to be non-privileged. Uh, it's, it's. I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of, uh, yeah. It's cultural appropriation. It's like the definition of cultural appropriation. Right. right. Maybe it's 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 a criticism, or maybe it's going to be a criticism, or, or treatise on the idea of cultural appropriation. Um, or maybe it is just. Ironically, it could just be the focus on people who actually read the books, where these this group of misfit heroes who, in we'll talk about the second issue, um, where is it Herb's Herb book, isn't it, where he talks about no one likes them, the world's already thrown them away, much like you know the world's already prejudged him, but they still stood up as heroes, and that's kind of like what actual readers and fans gravitate towards the X Men as. Right, so it could be like a literal. It could, sounds sounds horrendous to say shallow, but it could be a really shallow reading of they are just literally us readers, and what would happen in right. the world? You idolize these these heroes. What would you do? Right, uh, kind of like the the kid who copied Spider Man story, that kind of thing. Could be, could I, I'm interested in the idea of uh, that George brought up about cultural appropriation because I think. That is generally seen as like a negative concept. Not maybe not always, but for, generally speaking, it's like we don't want to. You want to see honor, right, and respect given to culture, but not necessarily like um, abusing someone else's culture for your own benefit, uh, <clears throat> like the Marvel editor guy. Um, <laughs> but um, exactly you know, because because that is what they're they're saying here. I think is definitely. At least out of the gate, seems to be 
as a method of empowering the kids. And so if the, if the message is going to be, or the, an interesting story about, you know, how can cultural appropriation be empowering? I, I don't know. It could be interesting on, on certain levels. So I guess we'll kind of see. It also must be inspired. Like the X-Men can inspire more than just mutants. Like they inspire right. other people to, you know, be better. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, what does that say about, you know, the X-Men's responsibility now, I and mean, we already had the Marauders kind of breaking the isolationism a little bit. Does this kind of lead to more of that, like like the new X-Men team, for example, that we'll talk about in, in a couple issues? Sure. Um, There's also, like, if, if what if your hero isn't from your culture? And, like, is it how... how 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 much you allowed to like emulate them or not? Like, for example, say a young kid uh, really likes LeBron James, and this kid, uh-huh. is a white kid, like, is he? How how much can he mimic? How much can he like praise? How much should he try to be like without you know going over, over crossing the line? I think there is a point to being like I I'm not trying to do this because I I'm trying to appropriate your culture. I just uh, really appreciate you, and I'd like right. I would be more like you. And I think there's, you know, that's, that's, uh, I don't know if any writer <laughs> really has the chops to tackle that. In a I, comic, but, I think uh, as people, we have trouble tackling that. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the main answer is the reaction of Storm and the X-Men when they inevitably find out that they're not mutants, if right. they aren't mutants. Um, because right. I feel that that's where you need to really have a delicate and nuanced approach. Because at the moment, no offense to it, but it's very superfluous in in its um. Like I can see a lot of people latching onto the the not mutants thing and really diving diving into the thematic idea of that when really it is just wearing it on its sleeve as we are all weirdos and the X Men are weirdos. Let's be like them. It's really that. It's pretty much that simple. It hasn't. Um, Oh sure, like everything Jason and I just said was like not in the pages at all. That was just us <laughs> expanding on what the book might be thinking about. It's not actually what they're they're doing. The, the, no, I know that. I mean, the book has more thematic promise than it's put across in two issues, which right. I would say is really cruel of me to, to to like criticize a book's thematic promise in two issues. But we have literally read some astonishing X Men books in the last couple of years, which immediately give you what they're, they're about to do in like an issue. So I'm, um, you know, judge them by the whole quality of the whole line. Um, but um, by, by that, by that same adage, it is nowhere near as bad as like Excalibur or anything oh, no. like that. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. But um, I, I, I do think um, it's very much a, a, a young, young adult story wrapped in a sort of mutant, world with the idea of them are they or aren't they it 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 kind of it hits all the same bases as the normal x-men do anyway like they're all standings for someone and we're all searching for a family when we don't feel like we fit in where we are so because it's so broad with its strokes it kind of hits a lot (laughs) at the same time so i think it it doesn't. It's not particularly nuanced, and it's not particularly deep. But it does. It has got people talking, and has more promise than it probably would do if you just read the the script ad hoc without any like prior knowledge or any human emotions. I suppose. 
I didn't expect us to be able to talk so much about these issues, you know, <laughs> considering, <laughs> considering like it didn't really hit us hard one way or the other. I think I think there's there's uh, an interesting. I mean, the second issue is much better than the first um, for me, anyway, um, because I think the first one tries to present uh, Cyclops. Cyclops, is such a mouthful. Yeah, the, the other characters are right. That is a terrible name. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, try, it, it kind of like she's obviously she kind of embodies visually uh, slim uh, Scott, and she is a bit uptight. Um, but there's like a um, sort of non-binary angle to her, the way she's drawn and the way she talks. Um, so I thought, oh, it could be an interesting. They could be going down an interesting. And then she's just, and then it sort of kills itself halfway through because she starts fawning over the basketballer, and I'm just like, no, yeah, she's just a teen, like, teenage girl that's fawning over. Um, whereas the second, the second issue uh, feels more timely and relevant. Um, it might be because, and I'm not going to say anything about the Falcon and Winter Soldier, but uh, issue, uh, the episode I watched today. But it kind of weirdly ties the same experience together that that show is trying to talk about, and this book talks about Cherub's like experience, and me being an in, literally in a different country, I could never fathom what it would be like to be in America in that sense. But um, the sense of like otherness that Cherub has where he's been prejudged and like everyone just assumes but he's mm-hmm, actually like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course but then at the same time it's the it's the trope that of course he's not the thing that he's prejudged which has now become an utter trope um but i feel like it works better so that when they do have the cliffhanger in the second issue um it makes more sense to me than it because it i don't know about you guys but in the first issue it just felt like really out of <laughs> Oh nowhere! It's like we're all fine. No, we don't need to go to Kokoa. And it's like, all right, kids, let's all right, guys, let's try and walk through the. Oh, it didn't work. And I was like, okay. It, it, it felt like cliffhanger by necessity in issue one, as opposed to like more of a story-driven idea. Um, but it could be because uh, apparently the book was completely different when it was supposed to come out the first time around. So, <laughs> so what? Um, what did y'all think of the art? What do y'all think of Bernard Chang on this book? The silence is deafening. Um, <laughs> I actually really like the art. I think the color work isn't great. I think um, it has some. The color work's good with skin tone, but not with background. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I feel like the 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 bright colors of the costumes don't work with the sort of naturalistic skin tone colors. So when you like have some of them with half masks and domino masks, it's sort of really sort of it's bizarre. It just sort of. Uh, meshes for me and i feel like the 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 comic bookness of, of it all the the, the whiz bang explosions the laser beams just don't seem colored properly yeah in place um but the the characters when they're when they're in the natural habitat of like not with the costumes on they actually look really good and it looks really like a really good drama <laughs> essentially um <laughs> like and um i think uh chang's really uh works really well with teen teen heroes i believe yeah. the last book was what like teen titans and yeah i, I believe like... so i don't think there's anything between the two which i kind of fell off in that book because of the writing but i thought the art was was pretty strong in that book it is the the, the writing was not but <laughs> <laughs> not about that anyway um but no, i really like the art i think it is a bit it, there's moments where it's not as um clear cut and um it can be a bit messy visually, but I think that's maybe down to inking and colour rather than right. line work. 
Yeah, it felt like a uh, a unique style to this artwork. There was a little bit of like gross beauty in the way that the the characters are are drawn and colored. Uh, there's a lot of like soft angles, if that makes sense. Uh, especially yeah. when when we have a, like Mystique talking to Storm, it was very like you knew who they were, but it was it was definitely someone's unique perspective on how to draw the characters, and I really appreciated that. Um, I do think uh, yeah, the backgrounds are kind of. I don't know if it's the coloring or I don't know. They don't really stand out to me. Um, I, like uh, half the time, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this art artwork, and then the other half, I'm like, you know, I'm really appreciating, uh, you know, this this perspective. So I, I think it's an artwork that I'm going to like grow to love. If that makes sense. I think I liked it the second issue more than it did the first one. Maybe yeah. just because I'm seeing more of it. Cool. Well, yeah, I think I'm the same. I'm I have liked Chang in the past. I really. Like the stuff he did on this kind of second string Green Lantern book uh, several years ago, and then like I said, I like the art at least on Teen Titans, and I mean there's more of the same. There's a couple of awkward panels. I think the one where Gene holds Cyclops' face, they both look kind of weird. And I agree. I think the colors. I don't know if the colors quite match the art style. Um, I'll be interested to see if that kind of gets closer together or if it kind of stays a little bit disjointed I don't, I don't know that's even the right word but there there's kind of seemed to be like a break between the what the artist is doing versus how it's being colored um but we'll see we'll see how that goes but um yeah i think um i think overall i enjoyed kind of the melodrama and i think i probably like this a little bit better than y'all where did y'all land on this um, I wasn't particularly sold on the first issue, so I'd probably give that like a low three. But the okay. second issue, I was much more sold on. But ironically, that's a high three, so okay. <laughs> it's just the same, right? <laughs> Variations are the same. All right, sure. What about you, Georgie? Yeah, I definitely like the second issue more. I, it is a little—I don't know if it's wordy or like this. There's a yeah, whole it lot is. it's trying to cover in that second yeah. issue. Um, but I, I liked it more. I think I would. Oh, boy, I'd probably give I'd give the first issue a three, and I'd probably do like a low four for the second issue. Okay, yeah, I think I'm right around the same neighborhood as y'all. I think I, as a unit, gave them both kind of a, one and two issues a, a low four out of six. So I think I think it really will depend on how they decide to pay off some of these things, and also how long, right? Like. <laughs> I think one more issue of Are They, Aren't They is about all I won't be able to tolerate. <laughs> like, I'm going to need some kind, of, you know, some kind of resolution of either... Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. Either resolve it or add more elements to it. But just them, like, constantly, like, not saying who they are or why they want to stay home and then trying the gates and then not, like... And that needs to kind of either either be wrapped up or add another layer to it. I think either one would be fine. But but yeah, I mean, I think I think it was an enjoyable book. Not not the best thing we read, but certainly not not on the bottom of the X line either. It's kind of right in the middle. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I, I agree. Awesome. All right. All right, let's move on to cable number nine. Number nine, number nine. Um, this is Heavyweight or Bargaining, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, designed by Tom Mueller, and the cover is by Phil Noto. And on the cover, we have a headless Emma Frost 
glaring. You can't see her face, but you know she's glaring by her body language. Uh, Cable and, okay, Quentin has Phoebe. Cable has Esme. Is that right? Um, I believe so. Mm, yes. I thought Cable was dating a number of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess him and Quentin Fly are just kind of, oh, no, I almost said something unintentionally gross. I'm not going to say that. Yes, I forgot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway, uh, yeah, but they're they're sharing a tropical drink, probably at the Green Lagoon, and getting some disapproving looks. But they are, they're like straight up Riverdale, Smallville face crushing each other. So what do y'all think of the cover? I love that the cup is a sentinel head. Uh, I think that's <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like a Hawaiian style sentinel head. Nice. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, Oh boy, I just lost the name of the artist. Um, Noto. Noto, yeah, uh, is, is great with facial expressions, especially yeah. on the cover. They really do feel like it's a young, young love. And even though you can't see Emma's face, you can feel like her disapproval uh, in, in her shoulders and her arms. I think right. this is a uh, this is a wonderful cover. It is really nice. I really enjoy it. Very good. All right. Well, in this issue. Kid Cable can't find Strife no matter who we ask, even including, you know, great trackers like Patch and Madripoor and his sister Rachel in the Boneyard. No one can help him find Strife. So he wants old Cable back. And this is kind of an inevitable but unfortunate conclusion to the story. <laughs> I'm Kid Cable. <laughs> like, you knew it had to go here, but you're kind of wishing it wasn't. At least, at least, like, Sorry, let me speak for myself. I kind of knew it was going to go here and kind of wishing it wasn't, and here we are. But what did y'all think of K1 number nine? Um, I, I enjoy the lightheartedness of it all, and I despair for when the pouches and the grizzled bullshit comes back. Um, but I think it's really fun. It's really well depicted. It, it's... it's it's the first time I've enjoyed a cable book since I've been an X fan, so that's a long time. So, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, overall, I think we've all really enjoyed this book, right? Um, the artwork for I don't know ninety eight percent of the time has been spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it is. I do love the fun. Uh, I think that the the that uh, event really derailed it for for a little bit, unfortunately, um, and sort of took Cable from like a confident person to like an idiot who who like really doubted himself for like no reason. Right. Uh, I think it really did a disservice to the character. Uh, and and yeah, we know he's got to bring old man Cable back. I don't know if it necessarily means young Cable won't be around, but right, right. This this Cable uh, has. Um, uh, a personality more than it's the mission. Where's my gun? You know what I mean? Like right. there's a there's a character to latch on to here. Sorry, Grant, if this is getting too to me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'll be sad if like uh, this character goes away for sh- uh, for good. Plus, like this book ending is is a shame when there are other books that would be better. Like I would much rather keep this around and, and lose other books. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, hopefully, Kid Cable. I know they, they, they kind of, for the first time, really kind of spell out, like, the duplicate laws of Krakoa in this issue. Um, there only can be one version of a person resurrected at a time. You know, I hope they find a way to get around that. It sounds like what KK was trying to do, right, is to find a way to, to stay alive but also bring old man Cable back. Um, 
you know, when that inevitably happens, I hope that Kid Cable does last, and maybe he sticks around in the sword. Because I have, I've enjoyed this version of Cable and the personality, especially that Dugan has infused him. Because let's be honest, he didn't start off as anything interesting at all. Like when uh, Brisson and, and guys were writing him, he was just kind of a, a miniature brat. He was just a young, old, yeah. angry person, yeah. Right, right. But Dugan has really done a lot of work to bring this character to life and make him extremely likable. And, I, and I'm, you know, Ewing's a very accomplished and, and good writer as well, so I'm hoping that, that he sticks around in the sword book and we can get to see him continue to, to impact the X-Universe. Um, as far you know, I have definitely enjoyed this series. I don't know if I really loved this issue, per se. Um you know, kind of the hunt for Strife didn't really get me going, but um, I, the art was fantastic, as always. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, All right. Well, what well, do you want I, to give? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Georgie. No, I just had a thought, and then I lost it. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you want to give Cable number nine? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I'll give it four out of six. Yeah, I I'm I'm gonna be maybe a little more generous today. I'm gonna give it a five. I uh, uh, maybe part of that is because I'm sad to see it go, and I want to give it all the love before it's gone. <laughs> um, but uh, I just, even though it, it is just him talking to a bunch of people, it's just a really fun, well done book. Okay. Well, I, I am a little further down on this than I have been on maybe the previous eight issues, but I think it's still a solid four out of six for me. It was fun. I don't care about the plot, but I do like the characters and I love the art and that's I mean that's most of a comic book right there. So All right, let's get to the juicy bits. X Men number nineteen. Okay, give me one sec. Scroll down. Pull up. Um Listen to me, vamp. Okay, um, excellent number <laughs> nineteen. <clears throat> Writer Jonathan Hickman, um, artist uh, Mahmoud Azrar, colors by Sunny Go, letters Clayton Cowell, design Tom Muller, with cover by Lionel Francis Yu and Sunny Go. And on the cover, uh, we've got the children. Uh, I don't know, chasing, running after our, our heroes, obviously into into the camera. I mean, it's it's kind of a standard. Here's the team that is coming to f- you know fight you. Look, um, mm-hmm. but I'm just uh, I don't know what it is. I love uh, use uh, I don't know edge his his uh, I don't know the anger, the roughness sometimes, and I, I just really appreciate the way that he draws these characters. What did you guys think of this cover? Um, I really like the colour work. I don't mind the pencils on everyone, but the I can't Serfina is it? The 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 Tim Burton chick. Um right. the black white. Um for some reason she doesn't work in my brain. I don't know. It's probably just me. But everyone else looks no, like me too. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I do really like the sort of um sense of um momentum and all the things crashing around them. It's quite fun. Yeah. Awesome. I, I, I like it, don't love it. But sure, I do, sure, I, sure. I do like it. <clears throat> All right, so we start off uh, the issue with um, some uh, design work, and it's almost like a flowchart of where our X-Men are inside the vault and uh, their journey. Uh, and we're, we basically just follow, uh, we pick up where our three characters left off, 
uh, with Sink and um, Wolverine sort of falling in love and and uh, Darwin going off. And we see them go through, you know, hundreds of years trying to infiltrate the vault and uh, learning more. Uh, they, they capture DNA of some of the children. Uh, they get separated. Uh, they reunite. Um, in the end, uh, Darwin is, is captured and atomized and I guess sort of like in, like in, in, infiltrated or in, in input into the DNA of all the children of the vault, which is probably a, a really bad thing um, in the <laughs> end. Um, but uh, after that happens, Sink and Wolverine are able to escape, uh, but it requires them to go through uh, this like laser that depowers them. Um, and Sink sort of uh, basically almost sacrificed himself to save Wolverine before, so Wolverine sacrifices herself to save Sink. He escapes, um, and right before he's about to be killed by the children, he reaches out to Xavier, who pulls him out, uh, and everyone's resurrected. And there's this really great uh, moment at the end uh, that basically mirrors uh, a, a page from uh, the previous issue where Sink's talking about, you know, uh, you know being with his team, and he's looking at uh, Wolverine, and she gives him a snick. That he's like, "Oh yeah, that that'll do." It, it's <laughs> it's such a great bookend to where we started off. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if they're exactly the same panels, but they're very similar almost, panels. Almost, they're not. I think Laura was in costume the first sure, time. Sure. But this, but she says the same thing. He's like, "Snicked, what are you looking at?" And yeah. Sink smiles, and it's just it's fantastic. I, I I just for this issue it was so great to see you could tell Hickman loves Sink and Laura and mm-hmm. and to see them get like uh, hundreds of years of of character in two page uh, two issues was so amazing um, I I really feel like the love between them the like the mm-hmm. the connection um, and I really uh, I I loved how gruesome and um, and uh, vile uh, the vault was like it could be dark without being bloody if that made sense you know mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be just like blood and gore um, and I love that um, even though he I guess the second half of, of the issue Darwin is sort of just um, gone but he you know these two issues are the most Darwin we've had in what 10 years so um, getting getting him involved it was um, I really appreciated that it just felt like this was Hickman at his best with um um, go and uh, you just like bringing it. I, I really appreciated both of these issues. It's it's hard to talk about one and not the other, especially since this really like bookends their their uh, excursion into the vault so well. Uh, but but what, what did you guys think? Well, first of all, I'm glad that you got to summarize it because I'm not sure how succinctly I could have. Um, <laughs> I did find. I think the only really I'm going to say one, not even negative, more neutral thing, and then everything else I have to say is going to be glowing. Um, I, I at times I couldn't tell if the graphics really helped or or just distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the flow chart kind of timeline thing, and I felt like it was trying to give us like anchor points, but there was almost an overload of information that nothing really stuck out as anchor points. Um, uh, the colors are pretty. I mean, the orange and the brown and the yellow was nice. But um, I yeah. think it's trying to like include hundreds of years of character, right? Right. Con- to- condensation. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, I freaking love this issue. I thought Azrar was, um, you know, you said George, it's hard to kind of talk about nineteen without eighteen, but um, Azrar was very much on point. 
these two issues, some of the stronger work he's done. Oh, he's, I'm sorry. he's I always you. strong. I said you because I was thinking about the cover, but yeah, oh, as, as is Azra. Yeah. My bad. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, I mean, it's very, very strong visually. Uh, you know, it's kind of a cheat, right? When you talk about all this stuff that happens over this great length of time, and you only show it in a few pages, that doesn't always work very well. But I, I completely agree with you, Georgie, that you feel the emotional connection between Sink and Laura. So whatever Hickman did to kind of make that work when maybe it shouldn't have is just kind of magic, right? And, you know, we'll talk about kind of the, new, the reveal of the new X-Men team, but seeing these those two together, um, I don't have a, as the same history with Sink that you guys do. You know, it's kind of late to the game on Gen X and missed – you know, a, a huge chunk of that first series and probably even got it when it wasn't as good. Um, and, I, you know, I'll remember that at some point and enjoyed listening to you guys talk about the early issues on your podcast. But, um, you know, it's Calibros. Um, but, um, cool. you know, I don't have the same, like, connection. But these two issues, like, made me love the character. Um, and so I look forward now to when I do go back and read, like, his, his first appearances and his early adventures in Gen X. Kind of... I won't be able to help but filter it through this lens, and I'm, I'm going to kind of already go in with him being one of my favorite characters on the team, just based on what I've read here. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that, to me, I think Hitman does a really great job, right, of just really bringing these characters to life. Um, the plot's important, and I know, you know, the children in the vault having kind of their third generation and having some Darwin powers is going to be a factor in future X-Men stories, but the plot is... Hickman does this really cool thing, and he does this a lot, where the plot is both secondary to like the actual story, which is the characters, but also primary in that it has long-lasting effects. And I don't know, I, I hate to just be like a, a a Hickman worshiper on this issue, but I just he really showcases the things that he does well in this story, probably probably as much as we've seen since Hawksbox ended. Um, you know, just really, really kind of does all the things he does right. And I really, I really love this issue a lot. And I'll shut up and let Dan talk. <laughs> so, um, I think, um, Hickman's, uh, sort of story, um, works really well, but I don't think it would work, uh, without the visual storytelling on, on, cause there's little to no dialogue apart from, uh, right. Everett, um, Everett, Voice up. Um, and Azra just nails the emotional uh, tone of the script and shows these characters moving through um, all these years with uh, Go. His shadow work is just astonishing, giving depth to every single like surface um, in in this place. There's like a the color work just adds such a because let's be honest, the design the design of the vault is pretty pedestrian. Um, it's not like uh, I don't know, um, Del Mundo doing some weird world um, crazy shenanigans. It's, it's very like simple blocks and cubes. But I think the color work really heightens the sense of the place and um, allows us to really sort of see the emotion emotional range that Azra has with these characters. And I also appreciate seeing different skin tones being actually colored properly. Um, 
because <laughs> the Larson books have a problem with that. Um, my only negative criticism is Georgie said that it is the most we've seen of Darwin, but did we really see anything of him other than him visually do a few bits and bobs? I feel like he's unfortunately thrown to the wayside, which is in service to two other characters which work really well, and they did Hickman does a really great job with them, and it blows my mind that he's not writing the X Men book coming up with them in. I don't understand why he's not there, not but, um, <laughs> um but I think Darren bless him, yet again is just a a, a plot point. Right. In, in in a story and that is like almost like the character's curse um <laughs> forever. Um not saying it's massive and it doesn't break break the book or anything. Um but I did I was kinda like when I first read it I was I was just in awe of it. It's such a great piece of work. But then I read it, I've read it a few other times, and I'm just like, well, yeah, okay, it is really good, but I do feel bad for Darwin every time I read it now, because he's basically... Yeah, like, sure. <laughs> he's, not only, he's not only the third wheel in their, in their like, trifecta, but he's like the third wheel in the story, too. And um, <laughs> I felt really bad for him. Um, but on, on the whole, though, it is really masterful storytelling, and for for um someone that's like Jason, for someone that's never really cared um forever, it's good to see that uh, Hickman in two issues can be like, yeah, this is a person that's important and going forward he's gonna be like the best X-Man you've ever ever um heard of. Um and I feel like it's great to like this was like their um what do you call it, their tryout is is that right, the term? Right. Before the thing. <laughs> um and, and it was a nice showcase of, of like it's not fair on Laura. She's had like a 30 odd issue showcase that people seem to forget about. But um, it was like their showcase to the modern audience. It's like, these are our X-Men going forward. Deal with it. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a great piece of work. I feel really negative, but I'm not. I actually really like it. I still <laughs> it. I, I'm still going to give it six out of six claws because it's, <laughs> it's a phenomenal piece of work. I think the subsequent readings of it, has just meant, oh, I feel, I just feel bad for Darwin. I was just like, where's right. his no, yeah, no, I get it. And it's like, he's introduced and he, they show him being cool. He doesn't really talk much. And then he's sort of used almost as a plot point to uh, further the cause of the enemy. But, um, you know, that's more, like I said, that's more Darwin than I can remember reading. Uh, <laughs> if that makes sense. Peter David did a lot for Darwin in that expector. Um, bless his, bless his, when, he, when he was given Darwin or when he when whoever when he decided to use Darwin in near the tail end of his X Factor run, his right, right. So, that's that's a long time ago though. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Well, well, Dan gave his score away. I'm gonna be right there with you, Dan. Six out of six claws for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. This is this, this is an easy easy six out of six. Uh, gorgeous. Uh, I I love that it was mostly just narration, and there were some great, like really great Hickmanisms of, um, like sync relaying what memory uh, is really like, and and how I my report is really just tied to the most important memories when I was there, and all those important memories have to do with Laura, like that really like ties the relationship together really well. Mm-hmm. I, I thought this was uh, just just superb. Yep, I agree. So, um. A couple of weeks ago, we got kind of some teases of kind of a, the next round of X books, and we found out that X Men is going to be relaunching with a 
Jerry Dugan and Pepe Larraz, and we knew about the vote, right? Uh, voting to get the the last X Men. Well, all that has been revealed with the cast of the new book. So, you guys want to talk about that a second? Definitely. Okay. Uh, one, you want to volunteer to kind of go through who's going to be in the book, like on the team? Well, yeah, but maybe we just read off who it is, and then we can talk about each individual member. Sure. So I know, um, obviously, we have the the dad and mom in the X Men universe. We have a uh, Cyclops and <clears throat> Jean Grey. <laughs> no, I refuse to call Marvel Girl. Um, That's weird. But uh, yeah, so they're going to be seems like kind of the, maybe the 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 leaders of the team is what it looks like. So how are you guys? How are you guys on that part? I thought it was a vote. Um, did they vote for themselves or like? <laughs> Oh, is everyone just in love with Gene and Scott? Does that, that sort of make sense, I suppose? Yeah. Um, I feel like it's their initiative, so like they're the leaders. They, right. Like they were the ones putting out who you get to vote for. They're like, we're just on the team anyway. <laughs> right. Screw you it's almost like, it's, it's like uh, <laughs> Professor X saying, yeah, we're starting the council. I'm on the council. You don't get to, like, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can, you can vote, you can nominate people from your region, but I'm definitely on there and I'm the leader. That's that's how it is, right? Yeah, and you're kind of seen that way for sure. Okay. Um, uh, what I what I did feel um, about I know we're going to talk about all of them, but I do feel like they all represent a corner of the Dawn of X universe, all coming together into one book for this mm-hmm. Reign of X business. And I think it's it's about time Cyclops just. I know he's had lots of front and center, but I feel like he's always been he's been punched in the gut ever since whatever editorial told everyone that he was like some sort of race traitor monster or whatever that he never did really anything apart from maybe coughed on someone once i can't remember but um it's nice to see him be a hero and this whole entire like books about them being like a superhero team so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm excited about seeing him i'm also excited to see gene maybe channel some x-men red as opposed to like i hope Alpha. so yeah. right Duggan Duggan is great. Like um and it's Pepe Larraz, isn't it? As the yes. as So it's gonna be beautiful to look at at least. So. Yes, it will be. Okay, and then we have um we have Rogue, which will be fun to get her back. <laughs> that was on a surprise, action right? Team. Yeah, I really wasn't expecting because she's I, mean, I don't know. I don't know who still sells books. I have to feel like though she's still a major selling point for the Scalver roster. So to take her out of that seems, I don't know, convenient. Maybe, maybe but, having a maybe having her asleep for like nine issues in a row. The ex- <laughs> like maybe we should do something with her because she's doing right. nothing. Right. But also, there's no. Like, uh, Williams got upset about Polaris and said, well, if she's in that book, I won't use her in my book. Like, you, I'm not going to share my toys kind of a thing. But, um, <laughs> um, oh, geez, uh, I just Howard. Yeah, Howard didn't say, like, oh, if, if someone's from my team, I'm not going to. Like, there's no reason that she won't be in both books. Right? True, true, very true. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Polaris did win the the real world popular vote. Um you know, I've seen a lot, a lot of different reaction to that. You know, on on X Twitter, you know, some people, 
I, I think there's a lot of love for Polaris, so nothing really negative about her, but just kind of wishing that that maybe some of the the B and C string characters could have got a shot to be on the team. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think I'm excited to see Polaris. Hopefully, not be just someone's broken toy. Like, right? You know, it's funny you mentioned Williams saying she doesn't want to share the toy, but all she did was just keep it broken. Like, let's fix the toy and let it be badass again. Um, <laughs> yep. I think this is a good chance to do that. Um, yep, I called it her emancipation from... <laughs> I do like her new costume. I must admit, her new costume is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's very sword. Um, yeah. Less ex- um, as a person who voted for uh, Roberto, I'm deeply saddened that he's not on the team and therefore won't read the book at all. Um, <laughs> just, like, just like any good X fan. Um, but no, I, I'm 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 intrigued to see Polaris be interesting again, or ever. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is a shame that you know there was a number of like interesting choices uh, that could have been on the team. It's it's odd that we were only allowed to vote on one of them. Uh, right. But uh, you know, Roberto would have been great. I think a character like Strong Guy would have been weird and, and interesting. Like Marrow, there are all all kinds of like right. interesting people that could have got on there. But um, I, I I do agree with you, Jason. Like I, I want like it, they're they're breaking havoc again. Like we don't need to just keep breaking these two characters right. over and over and over. Maybe just <laughs> let them heal and move forward and be yeah. you know, be themselves. <laughs> like like yeah. I would I would like that. And we can I mean. Comics is cool, especially with characters that are around a long time. We can break them again later, but geez, give them a chance to be happy for a little bit. Like give them their time in the sun, as right. well, right? Um, and let's see. After that, it's um, I know who the last two. I'm trying to remember who else is. Who are we missing besides the the two we that I wanted to talk about? Who's that? Sunfire. Oh yeah, Sunfire. Yeah. See, that's to me. That's kind of the weird one, right? But it could be really interesting. Um, so. I'm really excited to have Sunfire uh, around doing stuff. Like he's yeah. he's another character that really he comes and goes, but it doesn't really get a starring role in much of anything, right? And he's very powerful, yeah. uh, very like what like prideful, interesting character to have on the like. If anyone's going to be causing tension on the team, it's going to be him, right? Right. And I also think that because um, this is about a popular vote, and I wouldn't, I'm really interested to see how they won. I feel like Sunfire didn't he like basically single handedly stop the King in Black Invasion? Yeah. So maybe he's <laughs> right. Maybe he's considered like the hero of Kokoa, and that's why he's been. I really like the idea that he could be not just a grumpy dude from Japan. Um, right. But, like, right. I, I really want some nuance, and I, f- I feel like Duggan's going to give us an interesting sure. take. I really like the idea that he may, he's, a, he's a, he used to be an Avenger, so it'd be interesting. <laughs> him work on the world stage i must admit not seeing storm on this team is is mind-boggling to me because i i just i don't understand why she wouldn't be there but that's just me um yeah but sunfire's panic i love the lineup but sunfire was the one that i was like well the next two we talk about i i kind of was like yay but um Sunfire was like, that could be interesting. I think Dugan can do a really good job, like do something really cool with Sunfire. I'm really interested to see what he decides to do with his voice, with his character. Um, I think that, and and gosh, can you imagine when Ra's drawing like sun explosions and stuff like that? My goodness. That'll be pretty awesome. Um, 
Yeah, so that brings us then to, of course, Wolverine and Sink, who we just read in X-Men 19. Um, I'm really excited to see them on the team, not just because I love Wolverine, because I happen to really like Sink now after this these couple of issues, but to see them together still makes me right. feel really good. Yeah, I, I think there's... Oh, go ahead, Dan. No, no, you go first. No worries. No, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, it's great to see that they are still together. Um, and that Duggan's great. Well, I mean, he's just been like like the standout writer for for X Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like Hickman has been the architect, but in terms of like really cohesive, character driven star work, like it's been it's been Duggan's been the all star. So to give him the opportunity to show these characters interact and grow, and probably hopefully like remain together, like that's that's yeah. also very intriguing. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what he does with you know. Sync having all the memories of their very long time yeah. together, together in the vault, and Laura not retaining that, mm-hmm. and how that interaction goes, you know, to Sync, you know, does he get stuck in like a memory relationship or actually try to build something new uh, with the Laura that he has now? Like, I'm really, there can be some really interesting stuff in those differences there, and I hope that Digan explores that. I think it's just great and about time that Laura takes a proper center stage. Because X-Men Red, she was obviously a member of the Wolverine and Gene's team. Right. It's nice, nice to see that they're, they're going to back her. Like the actual, everyone in the X-Office and the you know the company itself are going to back her as Wolverine. Right. And the, the, the team. And um, as, a, as a massive Gen X fan, um, I am very, very happy to see uh, sync play in the big leagues being possibly the most powerful uh, mutant or one because in in the early ni- 90s if you read the little fact files that came with these issues it was always like goes on about how he's super powerful and he'll be like this and this and this and th- i loved his attitude um in those books of being like just like hopeful optimistic kind of character mm-hmm. and uh, i feel like he's still got the hope now he's got about 100 years worth of extra baggage, but <laughs> like he he could represent both the, the wise and the youthful viewpoint that the team might need going forward, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how they play it. And though I am excited to see his relationship with Laura, I'm more excited to see him let loose like a superhero with his ridiculous rainbows. Yes, his rainbows. On, that, on, on that front cover, he is literally mimicking Cyclops, Gene, and Laris at the same time. That the Rad's one cover, and I was just like, "Yep, there he is. That's that's what I want." So. <laughs> we we kind of left out um, in X Men nineteen. It was revealed that, or maybe it was eighteen, that he can now uh, mimic the powers of non mutants as well. Yep, uh, so. and it's it's kind of hinted at that even if the DNA is just around, he could still mimic that. So like he could have a like a Batman pouch of like twenty different mutant DNA around him, <laughs> and, and just. You know, it's he could be like overpowered if that makes sense. I love, I, I love it. I love the idea that he may be the four, the Deus Ex Machina of the team. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's totally. And we only get these characters, this this team, for a year before the vote happens again. Um, I hope that it relaunch every time a new team appears. That would be just exhausting. <laughs> but, uh, We're uh, really that much different than how many, how many, what volume of X Men are we on now? <laughs> <laughs> like um, obviously, uh, it was released today or yesterday that uh, Hickman's whole X Men is being collected uh, at the end of the year. So obviously, um, issue twenty or twenty one is the last one. The, the Hellfire Gala stuff is like his last 
X-Men. And there's the teaser that he's writing a new book, um, <laughs> which is crazy to me um, that he's just like writing a new book um, and not following on. Hopefully he'll follow on with the rest of the stories. Because I generally thought this would be Uncanny X-Men, not just X-Men, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited for this team. And I'm actually weirdly excited to see how it goes, because Duggan's done really well for certain characters. But at the same time, I'm, I'm worried because poor Iceman and Pyro and a few others are like glorified wallpaper in Marauders. So I'm hoping that there's seven characters here, isn't there? So I'm hoping that all of them get a time to shine in the year that they're going to be mm-hmm, in on mm-hmm. because i i wonder if they're just going to sweep them all aside and we'll get a new team next year or we'll still have some of them um because obviously people are voting and people can still be popular so right. <laughs> we'll see yeah awesome i think overall it sounds like all three of us are pretty excited uh to see where the book goes and about the creatives and the, the cast members as well. So I think all in all, some pretty good news. I, I understand people who have had disappointment about certain characters they really wanted to champion and totally get that. But I think overall, it's, it's pretty good news, I think, for X-Men fans. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's close up shop with Marauders 19. Ah, yes, Fire and Ice, uh, written by Joey Duggan, uh, art by Stefano Caselli, co-artist is Edgar Delgado, VC's private is letter and production, and Tom Mueller is design. The cover is Russell Dortmer and um, Matthew Wilson, and it is uh, Kitty, uh, Callisto, and Bishop being sexy, essentially. Yeah, Um much. And I really... I love this cover, and Bishop has never looked... I think I've said this a million times about the series, but Bishop's never looked so good. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, his, his costume is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Red is really... Oh, I will open the rest of the bag. Okay, buddy. You can go sit at the table with that, and I'll be in there in just a few minutes, okay? I can't take it. Wait till you get to the table, please. Sorry about that, guys. It's all good. Had a pop tart emergency. That's way more important. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, right. So to sum up this book, um, it's essentially Frankenstein's Reavers wreak havoc on a low town in Madripoor. Kitty has been would would is on her ship with uh, Bobby and Pyro. And if they move an inch, it would be an international incident, which um, the Verendi kids are excited about. So Kitty hatches a plan to do what Iceman and Pyro do best in this book and do action off screen while Kitty swims <laughs> all the way into the sewers, vomits, plants a tree, and, Callisto, and gets Callisto, who has... Ha- um, wrangled some Morlocks to um, their cause to help the civilians. Um, a lot of violence ensues. The Morlocks do what they do best, which in this case is actually fight, because a lot of the times it's just cower and die. But this time they actually <laughs> um, win the day. Everyone's happy. Everyone gets drunk. And that really gross thing inside Bliss's mouth drinks heavily, and it freaks me out constantly. Um, and I forgot how gross it is, and it's drawn really well. Um, how gross <laughs> That, but, and oh, and I forgot one thing. Bishop is a badass. <laughs> and yeah. <blows> up. <laughs> it's secretly like 
um, obviously he's channeling his, his I was hunting down cable through time days and um, threatens a young bo- young man and blows up his lap. And that's pretty much it. And everything's happening. And the Morlocks sort of like help build a bar that's run by people now. But yes, that's, um, that's basically it. Uh, lots happen and it's really fun. Um, that's my summary. That should be on the back of the the, the, the uh, trade. Um, <laughs> All right. Someone remind me if if I'm supposed to know. Why is Bliss wearing an old Jean Grey costume? I don't know. I just assumed it was a fashion choice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I was sure. I didn't even remember this character to be honest. So I was like, um, who's got a, a giant tongue who talks? This. <laughs> <laughs> And for those disappointed that more, uh, I'm sorry, that Marrow did not make the X Men vote, she gets some pretty good action in this comic, so that's good. Yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy Marrow um, in that sort of same way I enjoy Operation Zero Tolerance. I remember it exists, and I enjoyed <laughs> it at one point. But yeah, um, I'm to be honest, I'm more grossed out by Bliss's weird demon tongue than anything sure. else. Um, it, <laughs> it took most of my attention. Um, from the issue and I am kind of like getting a bit annoyed and a bit bored of poor Bobby and uh, Pyro doing fuck all but slightly off screen um, all the time so it's kind of like mm, are they, are they, do you need them on the team if you're not going to use them because the book kind of like juggle book has struggled to juggle with the idea of the crew of the Marauder and like the politics of being the Red Queen and it's clearly more interested in the politics of the Red Queen, which I love, than the the, the, the rest of the, the the crew, so to speak. No, that's a good point. Like Bobby, uh, for sure, has been sort of underserviced in this book. I think we were all happy to see him in a book with Kate, and then he was used maybe just in the beginning, and then every once in a while he pops up to be like, "Here's ice," and then he's kind of <laughs> done again. Uh, I think Pyro has actually had more to do. Uh, in this book than Bobby even has, which is odd. In Pyro's, like, they made him a fun, crazy character. I think it, it would be nice to see them interact like on page more. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe when uh, Madripoor is over, I guess the storyline is kind of over, there'll be more of a focus on Bobby. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. I feel like there might be a shuffling of... Because... I- I don't get the sense that Maraud is ending just because Duggan's doing X Men and is it X Factor? Then wow. Um, <laughs> but I feel like there sh- might be a shuffling of, of of the guard, so to speak, with with Storm leaving and the, the storyline finishing. We might have like a redecking, as it were, um, diff- like a different structure, perhaps. Yeah, we'll see what happens after yeah. X Gala and uh, what Callisto and the Morlocks how how much they stay involved in the story. I think it'll be interesting. Um, Right. I missed <laughs> Lolly in this issue. I know I'm for the most part I've been on if if there's a team Dan and a team Georgie where where Dan has been like, Oh, Casella's just as fine and Georgie's like, No, I don't really like him I've been more towards I, I like him. I didn't like him as much this issue. Um I felt a little I don't know, a little more average than normal to me. It reminds me of I don't know um, if anyone can visually remind. It's it's the color work remind that makes everyone look kind of like rubber. Um, yeah. Latex. Yeah. 
the Reva people. And I think there's some really interesting panels. Um, like he really loves drawing um, grotesque tongue thing, and he loves drawing uh-huh. the, two, the two brute people in different sort of I'm a brute person poses. Right. Um, but other than that, like the character work isn't as strong as usual. But I feel like the color work's really makes everything seem really fake <laughs> and like yeah. blown up. And stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, he's mean, not my like, favorite artist. Plasticky feel to the coloring. Yeah, this is not. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's it's kind of pedestrian uh, yeah. when it's not on the book, unfortunately. Um, especially the reverse, like that was that, that was some of the uh, the worst uh, artwork in in the book. Um, but I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of getting sick of Matchpore, if that makes sense. Uh, we've been doing <laughs> this for a while, and it's like, all right, I'm glad that we sort of put a cap on that, and maybe these characters can do something else. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm really interested to see what happens to co- a couple of these titles after the big gala event, and Marauders is one that will definitely be. I'm curious to see what they do next. But we're focused on the here and now. So when do y'all want to grade Marauders number 19? Um, I'll give it a thought. It's very fun. But it's not like it doesn't blow my mind or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it a four as well. I think the artwork drags it down a little bit. And like it was it was good to see the Morlocks doing something. But it also felt like this is a big problem we've been building up to. And then zip, zap, zooey, we're done with the problem. Um, <laughs> Felt a little, it felt just a little bit convenient, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, I think I'm a very high four out of six, but I'm going to land on the same score as y'all anyway. Um, <laughs> so four out of six for me as well. <laughs> All right, and that is the books and the news we're going to cover in this episode. So anything else y'all want to hit on or wrap up on? Um, well, like we mentioned, we're doing uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, episodes uh, every week. They tend to come out Wednesday or Thursday, so just before the next episode. Obviously, there's only one episode left uh, of that series, so look for just um, uh, you know a few more episodes from us to cover that. We also did like uh, our first episode of uh, Falcon Winter Soldier was also our our uh, Wandavision wrap up episode. So um, if you're interested in hearing our thoughts on that, please check that out. Um, after this is over, of course, we're hoping to get back to our regular uh, comic book uh, coverage. Um, and Dan, I think there was a book uh, we were talking about, um, like a Legends book coming out we, we wanted yeah, to cover. Um, Peter David and um, Todd, um, I think it's Nauk, um, how you pronounce his last name. Uh, they're doing a sort of step back in time X-Men Legends, uh, Peter David classic 90s X-Factor run for a couple of issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to cover that and see how... Uh, his evolved writing goes back in time to uh, those days. <laughs> uh, see how it goes. Yeah. Is that so? Is the X Men Legends series that's just kind of revolving. Is that that Fabian story about uh, Adam X? Like that, it really wrapped up quick in that second issue, and that's like it, right? And then they're doing a Simonson story, and so is Peter David like the story after the Simonson one? And so like all yeah, the same yeah. series? Okay. It's just an anthology tale, it would seem. Right. Gotcha. Okay. I'm so glad we're not covering uh, that book here, Jason. <laughs> uh, I don't mean the Peter David book, but I just mean the Adam right. X stuff. That was that was. Dirt that was hard. Name. 
do not invoke his name. I made that mistake. <laughs> I, we, wait, we all, Dan hasn't said it yet, so he won't appear. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie and I put us at risk. Um, so, so Dan, keep a, keep a lid on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely go check out Escalbro's episodes if you're not already, especially if you're watching the shows. Um no, I look forward to, to going back and hitting those episodes, you know, when I see when I I'll listen when I see. So I'm looking forward to that. Um but yeah, uh as always for the podcast of Ghost Nick, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Uh, did y'all give your Twitter, Georgie? Uh, sorry, I was talking to Ollie oh, while you were it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. Um, they, they can just listen to the previous episode of yours, which we were on, and they can find it out for themselves if they have an idea. Um, <laughs> just look for Excalibros. Like if yeah. you, it's, it's obvious. Very good, very good. Well, as always, guys, thank you so much for coming on and talking some Xbox with me. Very, very much appreciate it. Thanks again for kind of the extra flexibility this time around. Um, I'm glad we. I know we had some kind of, or I had some kind of Plan B stuff. I'm glad we got to go with Plan A because it's much more fun this way. So thank y'all very much. No, this is great. I'm glad we could work it all out. It was just a lot of fun talking with you guys. Very good. Well, as always, guys out there, please stay safe, stay well. You know, continue to wear a mask, work on getting your vaccine if you're able to, and um, just really just you know be good to each other. And with that, until next time, everyone. Hugs and snacks. Bye-bye. Bye. And snacked.